This message was presented at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Before we have prayer, I want to tell you that this, I want to warn you about this lecture. This is where the nuts and bolts, the brass tacks happen. This is where victory happens. This is how we can stay sanctified. It is a, it's a, it, but it's a difficult, a little bit difficult topic. And uh, I want to do justice to it. So I want to uh, ask God to invite his presence because this is where victory can take place. And uh, let's have prayer. Our Father in heaven, with all our heart and living soul, we want to wrap up strong uh, this afternoon and really now move into where we can truly have victory how we can become those people that you desire for us to be. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit and your presence to be here with us upon my mind and upon their minds. And together, Lord, we can come away from here being refreshed and knowing exactly what we have to do and what you've called us to do and look forward to the promises of those kind of people that do those things you've asked them to do. May you bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I call this one uh, the Battle of the Titans. It's really, again, we're now into chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Steps to Christ. Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 8, and Galatians chapter 5. When the Holy Spirit comes on us, we have those mighty credentials in Christ we talked about. The steps that are going on, the Holy Spirit's coming in us. There's always this question that I get from people. Well, why don't we stay there? And there has been a lot of different philosophies and offshoots and religions that teach, well, you should be staying there. Or that once sanctification takes place, you should never sin again. You should never have no problems with sin. And there's all kind of um, confusions on this very topic, the process of sanctification. And I want to look at, there's a lot of ideas out there, but the one that I think that is kind of making its ways in some different Adventist circles on the outside that we need to be very careful of, and it's it's called uh, passive sanctification. It has many, 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 many names. It comes in many, many, many forms. It's really straight out of Catholicism. And it comes out of the old holiness movements as well, the Quietists, the Shakers, the Pentecostals, uh, they all believe that sanctification was a passive experience where the Holy Spirit comes and bypasses the human will, bypasses your, your cognition, your reason and your logic and just takes control and you're like a hand in the glove and God just magically moves through you. Zip, 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 zip. Right? You've heard it before. Jesus, take the wheel. Let go, let God. Those are all slogans that kind of come out of the holiness movements. And they really are, they sound beautiful, and in a certain respects those are true from a certain point of view, but not the way they mean it. They mean that sanctification is a completely passive process. We have nothing to do. We just, once we are, we are converted and the Holy Spirit comes, it's all up to Him. And that has some really bad outcomes, and I've seen it in a lot of people. One of the fruits of these outcomes is a teaching that people believe that, well, if it's all about the Holy Spirit, and I've heard this from a dear family member, and they had a, an evangelist come through and taught passive sanctification, and then it, my good family member called me up the next day and was extremely happy. And he's like, you know, I finally get it, Damon. And I said, what? And he explained it to me. He says, look, 
if the Holy Spirit hasn't taken it away yet, well, then it must not be a problem for God right now. So they keep indulging those sins that they know are actually wrong. And because they feel there's a struggle and a battle going on with that sin, it means the Holy Spirit hasn't taken it away yet, so don't worry about it. When, when you quit sinning is when you don't even want to do it no more magically. Like poof, abracadabra. And so it leads people into presumptuous kinds of sin. There's another thing when people, uh, that comes out of this path of sanctification. People believe, well... After sanctification, they've been dedicated to death. They've went through baptism and they come up out of the waters, but they keep wanting to sin. They keep having these struggles. And so they feel like, well, maybe I really didn't die to self or maybe I, I, I don't got something right in my life. So they go back and they, and they try to pray, 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 pray for the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this a lot. And they get all fired up. Okay, I'm not going to sin no more. And then they have the same proclivities, desires. And they go, well, I haven't prayed enough. So they go back to the praying, 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 praying. And it's this back and forth. And it leads to kind of a spiritual frustration. Oh, why can't I? Why do I still want to sin? Why am I still struggling? I thought I was sanctified. And then for some, what happens is they get so burnt out on trying to be sanctified because they're not supposed to want to sin no more, right? according to the teaching of passive sanctification, then, well, they just give up and they fall prey to the Jesus-only movements. All right? Just love Jesus. Don't worry about sin or sanctification. You just love Jesus. You're saved and don't worry about it. And when those preachers come through, those people just love that stuff because they are tired of trying to not want to sin no more. And so what I want to look at is what the, the, the biblical model is, the Protestant model, the Seventh-day Adventist model. <laughs> I'd like to introduce it this way. When I was in high school... I had a rival. I had a friend that was my best friend, but before he was my best friend, he was my worst enemy. And we earned the nickname the Dog Brothers because we got into this fight in high school one day out of the football field. And this fight went on for like 20 minutes. And we fought like two junkyard dogs. We were both about the same size. We hated each other with the same intensity. And you know, in high school, if you lose a fight, it's bragging rights against you forever. And so neither one of us wanted to lose this fight. And so we fought and fell down and kicked and bit and screamed and cussed and fell down and fought. And we went on forever until at the end we were both leaning on each other like this. And, and I just took a swipe at him. I was like, huh. <laughs> and he, huh. And finally our friend, we just collapsed into our friend's arms and they drug us into the field house. And there we became best friends, shook hands, hugged each other, loved each other, became best friends. But before that, it was a fight. It's a battle. And and if I could introduce the topic in any way, this is the battle between the flesh and spirit. This is what's supposed to happen. There is a raging battle in our life. When we receive that Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, the truth of it is that it is a dogfight. Romans chapter 7, verse 23. Now, Paul is going to begin telling us about this battle between the flesh and the spirit. So I've received the Holy Spirit. I got this new power operating in me. And listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, 23. Now, this is Blanco's paraphrase because it's such a good, a good way of putting it. And very theological, I use a paraphrase, which I rarely do. But listen. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. But inside me is a sinful nature. It's always there urging me to think about myself, no matter how I set my mind against it. It's even strong enough to take me captive and to overcome my innermost longings to do good. Now, some one time I gave this lecture and a person came to me and said, well, you know, that's Paul before he was converted. 
And I said, well, that's interesting. So, you know, because Paul, after conversion, never struggled with sin, he was trying to tell me. So I went and did some research and I found that Paul uses in all of the first six chapters of Romans, he uses what's called the aorist verb tense. And the aorist verb tense is best defined as unidentified or past tense. When he gets to chapter seven, he switches to what's called the present active indicative tense, meaning right now. It's such a, an obvious shift in verb tenses throughout the whole chapter seven. We know that what Paul is saying, a converted Christian is saying, I have within me a fallen, broken nature, a flesh that's warring against the spirit that's within me. And if you can understand that, you will not get frustrated spiritually. If you dedicate yourself to Christ, if you go through this death experience and you come up and the Holy Spirit is buzzing within you, you can expect that Jesus is going to have some competition. And unfortunately, that competition is our fallen nature, our broken, sinful self. Paul uses terms all through the scriptures like lust of the flesh, right? Uh, we call it the lower mind or, or the old mind. However, grace has given us another chance. We are completely controlled by that. But when we're born again, and that's why we must be born again, we receive the spirit to take over and battle that flesh spirit that's within us. Listen to the Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary in this. Thus, Adam and Eve passed on to their posterity a tendency to sin and a liability to its punishment, death. By their transgression, sin was introduced as an infectious power in human nature, antagonistic to God. And this infection has continued ever since. It is because of this infection of nature, traceable to Adam's sin, that men must be born again. So when we're born again, we can challenge the old man through the Spirit. And until you've got the Spirit... Until you have been born again, until you've been dead to self and went through those first six steps, you don't got a chance against the flesh. You can't beat him. It'd be like stepping into a ring with Mike Tyson in his youth. There's no chance. That is why those first six steps are so powerful, because that's how you receive the spirit. And without the spirit, you'll never beat the flesh. And that's why maybe some of you are getting whooped by the flesh all the time. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We get this. We understand this. And so all this is telling us is giving us some good theology from the beginning of time. In the beginning, Adam was created. This is Adam post-lapsarian, right? Before the fall. He and the Holy Spirit was dwelling within him. His will, his flesh, his mind was in perfect one accord. He could completely obey God in his own righteousness. But then he fooled around and sinned and separated himself from God. And the rupture came, the fracture between us and God. And what was the result of that to human nature? After the fall, the Holy Spirit now is outside of mankind. And our flesh is ruling us. Uh, The will is impacted by sin. We're weakened. We're broken. And this is what we have to contend with, the flesh. It's part of us. It doesn't go away at baptism. We're going to look at that later. It stays right there. But with the Holy Spirit coming within us, it has competition now. So Paul says that basically we have one side of us that's flesh, that's carnal. But when we're born again, we have the Holy Spirit. And these two, Galatians 5 verse 17 says 
are at war with one another. I love what Galatians 5.17 says. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Galatians is clear. These two are at a constant battle. What I, this is me, right? This is my fallen nature, pride, unhappiness, murder, angry. I mean, look at all the adjectives. But over here, it's the, it's the righteousness of Christ, the character of Christ. And when he's within me through the spirit, that is what's working within me. But the flesh is always right there to battle me. There was a medieval churchman that wrote, once wrote this in the 1200s. Original justice was God's gift to human beings by which their reason was able to control their lower powers, feelings, desires, passions, and bodily activities. By falling into sin, human beings lost their gift of original righteousness. As a result, the original harmony was lost as well, so that now the lower nature of people dominates their reason and wreaks havoc in and through them. Think about this. How true it is. I work at New Star. I see it all the time. I remember going to my father-in-law's funeral. He died of lung cancer. Cigarette smoking killed him. And all of the children of his, this was my, kind of like my stepfather-in-law, and all of his children were gathered around him, and they were all weeping and crying, and, and I never forget the scene. They left the hospital room and went outside and were all smoking. That's the fallen nature. It's insane. It doesn't make any sense. It's mental. Right? It's, it's, it's lunacy. That's what's within all of us. The fallen nature, that's why we eat stuff. You, I mean, I can listen to Dr. Gallant's lectures and just be like, whoa, I just, I, I should never touch that stuff. I should never touch, that's it's poison. And then turn right around a week later and be somewhere, well, I'm hungry, what's up? Oh. What causes that? The fallen nature, it is insane. It's broken. It will do the craziest things. It's self-destructive. It yells and screams and hollers at someone it loves. When that someone you love is gone, then it weeps and sorrows and cries. And Paul says that's what is within us. Now, it's true, we have, we have these two parts But now I want to read something because there is a way that the spirit can beat the flesh every time. Who referees the battle between the two? They're fighting in us. Who determines who wins the day? Listen to this statement. Many are inquiring, how am I to make a surrender of myself to God? You desire to give yourself to him, but you are weak in moral power and slavery to doubt and controlled by the habits of your life of sin. Your promises and resolutions are like Man, beautiful statement. Ropes of sand. You cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections, but you need not to despair. What you need to understand is the true force of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision or of choice. Everything depends on the right action of the will. You can give him your will. He will then work in you to will and do according to his good pleasure. Thus your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ, your affections will be centered upon Him and your thoughts will be in harmony with Him. We have the Spirit within us, right? We have the mind of Christ within us. Because we've been baptized and died to self, we still have a flesh nature. What determines who's going to win the battle? The will. What she's saying, you must be willing to be willing. You must use your power of choice. The word will means power of choice. 
My power of choice. I must exercise my power of choice. So when the Holy Spirit shows up and says, Damon, don't do that. And the flesh is saying, yeah, Damon, do it. It's okay. I must at that moment choose whom I'm going to listen to. Romans 8 verse 5 says it this way. Listen to this. Romans 8 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So it's clear you've got to set your mind. Choosing your will is what you're going to set your mind on, the Spirit or the flesh, and that's going to determine who wins the day. So temptation comes along, dumb luck, chance, the devil, your own fallen nature. Whatever happens, you're going to be brought into some kind of temptation to lose your temper, to eat something you shouldn't, to dress or watch something that you shouldn't watch. Or say something, you're going to come into some kind of situation and the Holy Spirit's going to show up, right? Because you were going through those six steps. Conviction's going to come and it's going to say, Damon, 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 Damon. And the flesh is going to say, Damon, 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 Damon. What I choose to set my mind on determines. Because the moment you set your mind on God, Lord, and this is the trick, Lord, help me. God, help me. No man can sin in that moment. But the moment I set my mind on the flesh, the Spirit comes in and the flesh is crying out and I go, yeah, yeah, God, but oh, yeah, but it's okay. It's just this one time. It won't matter. Well, she shouldn't have done that. She shouldn't have said that to me. Boom. <laughs> it's over with. Sin. Instamatically, you've lost. And you see why baptism was so important, or your rebaptism, because if you're dead, no problem, right? If the Spirit shows up, you set your mind, you're in this situation, we're sinful human beings, we can't help it when things happen to us, but they come, and if I set my mind on the Spirit, because the Spirit is saying, Damon, keep your mouth shut, it's better to be quiet right now. You're, you're mad, you're angry, be quiet, don't say nothing. Right? If I set my mind on God, I'll be victorious. I get to choose that. It's a split second, though, usually. Listen to this. It is through the will that sin retains its hold upon us. The surrender of the will is represented as plucking out the eye or cutting off the hand because that's what it feels like. That is a very literal Hebrew way of explaining what it means to put your mind on the spirit or the flesh. I remember the first time I wrestled with this, a preacher was doing a sermon about adultery. And then he was talking about how well that lusting after a woman is adultery. And he was talking about looking at women. And I was a young man working at Walmart. And, you know, women at Walmart are not always very uh, modest. And these 30-year-old women were coming in there and these housewives were coming there. And I like to look. And I remember the first time I was challenged with this idea of not looking. It literally felt like my eyes were being pulled out because I was so used to looking down. I remember a brother, I was telling a brother at Walmart what I was trying to do. He says, look from the chin up, just the chin up when they walk up. So I was like looking at women like, like, hey, how can I help you, ma'am? It was kind of weird, but it was like my eyes literally were feeling like they were just hurting because I didn't go down. You know the feeling. You want to eat it. You want to taste it so bad. You want to touch it or you get angry and you just want to go. 
The Bible says it is like cutting off your hand, pulling out your eyes because you are fighting the flesh. That's what's happening to you. It is a battle. And I'm telling you, it will happen almost immediately when you leave here. It is not easy. That's what I'm saying. This is a tough lecture because this is where you've got to fight the fight of your life. The Holy Spirit has been promised to you. You've got the righteousness of Christ. He has sent the Spirit into your life. He's going to show up and talk and do. But your part is you're going to have to put your mind on Him. Because in those moments, if you will put your mind on Christ, if you will set the will, the mind, choose, okay, i got to go on Jesus, you'll forget. That moment will pass. Mary, when she does the Stop Smoking Clinics, she tells the, the guests that if you fight that urge for nicotine, how long does it last? If you can, five minutes? Five minutes. If you can get past the flesh for five minutes, then it, it ceases and it's gone and it may come back later. It's the same way in the spiritual world. Listen to this. Jesus came to bring moral power to combine with human effort and in no case are his followers to allow themselves to lose sight of Christ who is their example in all things. He said, for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So Jesus came to bring the moral power combined with my human effort. My human effort is to choose to put my mind on Christ in the moment of temptation. The next time you're fighting with your wife or your husband and you feel that coming, you know, she she does something every now and then and I misread it and and she says something to me. I'm like, what does she mean by that? And if she's not feeling good, she's like, he's so touchy. You know, you're kind of touchy today. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you sh- and that start, that start, bink, 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 bink. And all of a sudden, you get that anger coming up. Right then the Holy Spirit comes in and says, Damon, Damon, Damon. You'll forget about this in two days. Just don't. Turn away. Turn the other cheek. Right? Love your enemy. <laughs> and if I say... Okay, all right. Okay, God. She don't even know I was even getting mad. Well, she may, but but not much. That's how it works. I'm telling you, this is very practical and it's very simple, and you already know it to be true. You know this is how it works. So don't get discouraged because you're battling. You're still having temptations. You're still struggling with sin. You're, you're still you know, having some problems. Hey, that's what's supposed to happen if you're really being sanctified. But he's not going to magically abracadabra, passively sanctify it away. He will always engage human effort with divine power. You have to choose. And if you choose to put your mind on him in that moment, you're going to have victory. I've never been beaten that way. Unfortunately, I don't usually go that way. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. Paul uses all kind of great metaphors to talk about this battle. But this is just one more. Philippians chapter 2. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brother, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Right? It's a pressing forward. It's an apprehending. It's a chasing after. 
In chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, listen to this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's always referred to as a work, as a battle, as a race, as a march. And unfortunately, I wish I could tell you there was a button you could press and and the sinful nature would be erased. But it's not. The sinful nature remains with us. And every day you wake up, unfortunately, on this side of planet Earth, it's going to be a battle against the flesh. Satan knows we cannot save ourselves from the tempter's power. He has conquered humanity. And when we try to stand in our own strength, we shall become a prey to his devices. But the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Satan trembles and flees before the weakest soul who finds its refuge in that mighty name. The refuge is in his name. The refuge is in the moment that you cry out to him. It's the trick, though. I have another family member that I love dearly who was struggling with some addictions really bad throughout his whole life. And, and one time I was sitting in church with him and, and, and he was saying, I just keep asking God to, to take it away, to take it away. And I said, brother, when I said, when it comes, you got to call on Jesus name. When you feel that, that, that temptation, that addiction, that desire, call on his name. And he says, but I don't want to. Well, that's the issue. He doesn't want to. Because of the flesh. And that is where you've got to learn. This is where the battle is the hottest. Because if you don't want to, you will not and you'll be beat. But if you'll practice this, it gets easier. And in that particular area in your life where he's working, believe me, I know this. It gets easier and easier and easier and easier. But if you keep giving in, it gets harder and harder and harder. We must listen. We must act. We must hear. I mean, I have been here, I know, 10,000 times in my life. I can't tell you how many times I have felt the, the temper coming on, the anger coming on. Or on my computer, click, 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 and all of a sudden an ad pops up, blink. And, and there it is. Hey, it's some insurance ad, but it's a half-naked woman. Come check out our new insurance rates. And I know, I know that ain't about insurance. What am I going to do? The flesh, man. The flesh is like, oh, well, you know, you need to check your insurance rates. And I know, I don't even do with our insurance. She does. And, and I'm thinking, huh? Well, um. and the Holy Spirit is screaming out to me. Damon, you know what's behind that click. And you know where this goes. If I can just but bow my head and say, Lord, God, help my weak, fallen nature. It is so weak right now. God, help me, help me. All of a sudden, it's gone. <laughs> it's just that easy, but it's really that hard. Because the nature, the fallen nature, is always tricking us. It's a liar. He knows me so well. He knows exactly what to say to me every time. I know it sounds a bit schizophrenic, but it's true. He knows you. She knows you. She knows exactly what to tell you to lull you into security. She knows exactly how to say what you want to hear. And we listen. But the Holy Spirit's always right there. It's promised to us. Man, listen to this. This is another of these great, great statements. Being justified by faith, 
he has peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 But because this experience is his, the Christian is not therefore to fold his hands content with that which has been accomplished for him. Talking about justification, our six steps. He who has determined to enter the spiritual kingdom will find that all the powers of passion and unregenerate nature, backed by the forces of the kingdom of darkness, are arrayed against him. Each day he must renew his consecration. Each day do battle with evil. Old habits, hereditary tendencies to wrong will strive for the mastery. And against these, he is to ever be on guard, striving in Christ's strength for victory. That is as definitive statement as you can get on sanctification. We have a broken, fallen nature. I heard an Adventist guy on YouTube talking about that after we are consecrated, after we are justified, we should never have a battle with sin again. And right there, I am told, I have unregenerate nature, passions, proclivities of fallen nature that I have to wake up every day and do battle with. You know, it's the word consecration. That's chapter five steps to Christ. That's dying to self. Every morning I consecrate, I die to self. Meaning I give you permission again to come into my life and do what you must. And he will show up that day. You go to turn on the TV. And it's like, hey, maybe you should be reading your Bible right now. You get to choose. Ah, oh, but I'm tired. and I'm not. Get in the car. You get to turn your radio. And this happens to me all the time. Country music. Look, I grew up on it. Sometimes I get in one of those bad moods. I'm just in a rebellious, angry mood. And I want to turn on some Waylon Jennings. I want to turn on some music that makes me feel like, you know, that, that, oh, good. One time I was doing that, and Hank Williams Jr. was singing a song called, If Heaven Ain't a Lot Like Dixie. And I was singing, If Heaven Ain't a Lot Like Dixie. And then I was sitting there, and the Holy Spirit's going, If Heaven Ain't a Lot Like Dixie, Damon, you don't want to go. And I was like, what? And I started listening to what I was listening to, and the Holy Spirit saying, man, throw that out the window. Threw it out the window. Six months later, I bought it again. <laughs> and threw it out the window again. I've done this with movies. Mary knows. I got a certain genre of movies I used to love to watch. I bought them. Got convicted. Little Light Ministries. <laughs> don't watch that if you, don't want, if you want to keep your movies. <laughs> I threw them all away. <laughs> About a year later, I bought a whole new set of them. She's like, you just threw those away. I threw them away again and bought them again and then threw them away again not long ago. And she was like, okay, never again. <laughs> so that's the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Constantly this. But every time I listen to the Holy Spirit, I do what's right. When I listen to me. So I'm trying to learn. Look, I'm in this with y'all. I mean, it's really, truly like, uh, you remember the cartoons, Donald Duck? And he'd be walking along and, and this little red evil duck would pop up on his shoulder with the little horns and the pitchfork. I don't know, when I was a kid, Donald Duck was big. And then all of a sudden, the little blue duck with a little angel with a halo. And they'd be both, yes, she knows, they'd both be on, her, on his side. And, and he was listening to them. And the good angel like, no don't do that and he's like oh he's got this calm you know look on his face and all of a sudden the evil duck would start talking on his shoulder and all of a sudden his face would become demented as he started to listen and he'd throw away the the good angel and, and the evil you know devil angel took him over and he would go do some terrible thing that's a childhood thing ridiculous but there's truth in that because when i listen to the flesh i am listening to the master of the flesh and my character starts resembling him 
When I give in to road rage, I can only imagine what I look like. I've gone back and, and looked at family videos of me in my 20s. Horrible. Horrible. Gut-wrenching to look at. My son was watching a, a home video. He's 25, 26 now. Of when he was five, he didn't tell me he was watching this and his sisters come and said, you know, I said, why hasn't your brother called me in a while? She said, well, dad, we was watching an old home video. I said, you was pretty, pretty tough on him. I could only imagine what he must have been seeing. The anger, the rage, the flesh was taken over. I was burned out. I was tired. I was aggravated. I was a tyrant when I was a young man. And when I let the flesh rule me like that, it has consequences to this day I'm ashamed of. But God in heaven, when I've let the Spirit rule, those are some of the most beautiful moments of my life when I let compassion and mercy and love and forgiveness. Oh man, that's how I want to live my life, like Christ. I want that. And God's promised you can have that, but it's a battle. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to learn to listen to me. And the moment you hear my voice, do it. And I'm going to take you through some training schools, right? I'm going to do some easy things. It might be diet, something simple. But you get used to listen to the Spirit. And then the deeper things it gets used to. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you not to watch that murdering and bloodshed and killing. And I'm going to ask you to turn that off. It's a little childhood practice. But then he'll start taking me to deeper and deeper things. And I'll start learning to listen more and more. And pretty soon I'm like Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is all about the horse and the rider. He says, I don't want you to be like the horse that has to be harnessed with bit and bridle and yanked back and forth. But I want to guide you with my eye. I, I want to get to so close to you that when I whisper in your ear, Damon, shh, don't do that. I go, oh, yes, sir. And I just keep on going. Damon, Damon, I want you to go this way. And he just guides me with his eye. He just looks this way and I go that way. He don't even got to speak to me. I want to get so in tune with the Holy Spirit and I can. I can have that if I keep listening to him in the little things. So maybe diet is a little thing, but it's a training school. Maybe the way you dress is a little thing, but it's a training school. Maybe the things you're watching or listening to, but those are training schools to get us into deeper things, deeper attitudes and, and character flaws and dysfunctions and distortions. The more I listen to the Spirit, the more I engage him, Man, that's where power. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, though, it's going to tell you something that I don't like to read. Colossians 3, verse 5, it uses a very strange word. Colossians 3, 5. Very direct command, though. Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth. The word that he uses is the word for mortify. Some of your Bibles will translate that. It's the word from necros, to be dead. It means literally put it to death. I grew up on a, in the country on a farm. I was the family executioner of all animals. Anything that we was going to eat, I had to execute it. Anything that was a nuisance, I had to execute it. And you know one thing I learned about things that are about to die? They don't want to die. And your flesh does not want to die. It will not go peacefully by in the night. It will put a screaming, raging fight up. Because it has been programmed by the world, which has been programmed by Satan. And it wants what it wants. But the Holy Spirit wants what he wants. 
And I've got to learn to set my mind upon the Spirit. Romans 8 verse 13, another great text that shows us what to do in these situations. It's a warning. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how are the deeds of the body put to death? It's by the Spirit. It's still by God's power. It's still by faith. But you're simply having to choose. It's not really your works and sanctifications. It's His works in your life. But you have to put to death by choosing to put it to death. By setting your mind on God and not on the flesh. And it's something you're going to have to practice probably first thing in the morning. And all the time and often. It's not like it's going to come every now and then, I promise you. At least for me, it's all the time. Listen to this. The expulsion of sin, Desire of Ages, page 466. The expulsion of sin is the act of the soul itself. True, we have no power to free ourselves from Satan's control. But when we desire to be set free from sin, and in our great need, cry out for a power out and above ourselves, the powers of the soul are imbued with the divine energy of the Holy Spirit, and they obey the dictates of the will in fulfilling the will of God. Beautiful statement. You should highlight that in your book, Desire of Ages, page 466. When I cry out, the act of expulsion of sin is my act. It's my choice. And when I cry out, the Holy Spirit comes down and imbues me with divine energy. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is, but I know what it does. And whatever that divine energy of the Spirit is that comes into me, my will automatically will obey the will of God and expel sin from me. That's what I need. But you got to know what you're in. you got to know where the battle is. So many of our young people are weeping and crying. I don't get the Holy Spirit. I'm not, I'm not doing what I should do. Well, here's how. Here's the practice. Here's the practical idea of it. So how do you cry out in practical ways, though? What does it mean to cry out? Okay, Jesus, well, that's a good start. But you know, I have other ways. Here are some of the ways that I cry out. When I feel temptation coming on... When I used to work in construction sites, I had a hand Bible. I had a little Bible, a New Testament I carried everywhere I went. And at so many times in the day, I would just pull it out. And just as I'm walking along, I'd read Psalm chapter 41 or, or Matthew chapter 5 or, or Galatians chapter... I mean, I would just read and then that was how I cried out. Or, or Steps to Christ. My favorite text highlighted. I keep this on me all the time. I have a Steps to Christ always, always around me. Because when I feel sin, when I feel temptation, come on, if I read... That's how I cry out. But I have another way that I cry out. When I am down, when I'm discouraged, when I'm depressed, and Miss Mary knows this to be true. When I'm feeling bad and I have my blue days, I'm given to depression. I have my down, my up and down kind of guy. I have one powerful tool I love to do. Into her, into the bed of love, and they defiled her with their immorality. So she was defiled by them. It's called the audio and Bible. Alienated herself. The word of promise, powerful, powerful preaching of the word with uh, dramatization, music. When someone's being killed, you hear the or, you know, or, or when there's when there's horses, you hear 
It just keeps you engaged. I can listen to this thing. I'm already in the book of Ezekiel. And, and that keeps me setting my mind on God. When I feel temptation coming, I set my mind on God through the word, through prayer, through meditation. And here's another way I like to set my mind on the word of God. It is, man, I love this right here. Right? I got my Pandora set to these. See how many times I've been brought to tears in my need listening to old hymns. And the Holy Spirit starts moving on me. I listen to those musics. Have thine own way. Those hymns speak to me. These are the ways I set my mind on God. This is how I battle. And when I do those things, I have never been beaten. When I'm discouraged, I have these ways of setting my mind on Him. It's not just, okay, Lord, I put my mind on You. It doesn't work that way. It's the crying out to Him through His Word, through Spirit of Prophecy, through music, through meditation. Thinking about Him, Lord, God, I'm not talking about no New Age meditation either. I'm talking about, I just got to put my mind on God right now. Or, if I'm really blown away, I got the Ten Commandments. I love watching that old Charlton Heston movie. I'll put in a DVD with a, the Gospel of John. And sin never gets me that way. Well, some people tell me, you know, well, that sounds like slavery. To wake up every day and have, and have to be listening to the Spirit. or, or to the, How come I can't just live on my own? How come I just can't do my own thing? Am I really listening to the Spirit or the flesh all the time? What about me? You, sister, you just said it right. Romans 6, verse 16. Paul says, well, bad news. It's really bad, bad news. Romans 6, verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? You know, there's no Switzerland here. There's no neutral zone. You're either listening to the flesh and obeying the dictates of evil and Satan, or you're listening to the Spirit and listening to God. You're a slave to somebody, you know, and being a slave, I don't guess it's such a bad idea. I mean, I come from a part of the world, right? We're in the South. Slavery was, was a terrible thing, a terrible blight on society. I remember going up to Tennessee and, and looking at an old, an old uh, plantation home. And I couldn't even look at the plantation home because I was looking at the slaves' quarters and I was just, God, I, I was, this is terrible. Who could live like this? Who would want to be a slave? And yet there's one place in all of written literature where someone chooses to be a slave. Oh, man. Exodus chapter 21, verse 5 and 6. It's, I don't think, in any written literature in the history of the world that ever anything's been written like this. But in Exodus 21, God made a provision for those that chose to be a slave. And listen to the spiritual implications. Verse 5 and 6. But if the servant plainly saves, if the slave, the word is not servant, it's actually slave, plainly says, I love my master, my wife, my children. I will not go out free. Do you love your master? Do you love your children? Do you love your wife, your husband, your family? 
Then his master shall bring him to the judges, and he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an owl, and he shall serve him forever. So in other words, look, I don't want to be, I want to be a slave now to my master. So the master was to take him downtown and take him to the lintel, the doorpost. Where it's interesting, it's the same idea of uh, the Passover, where they put the blood on the lintel of the door, take him to the same place. That's another whole sermon. And he was to put his ear up on up the side of the wood and take something like an ice pick and quack, and then put an earring in it. And that was a sign that he was no longer listening to himself, but that he was listening to his master. Don't go to the slave and ask him what he wants to do because he don't know. He can't tell you. He doesn't have a, have a way anymore. He's listening to his master. There's a reason why the Gospels record in Matthew that Peter cuts off the ear of the high priest. It was a symbol that he's no longer listening to me. Israel no longer listens. Hear, old Israel, the word ish, ear, it was always a symbol that I'm listening to God, to the Spirit at all times. And Malchus was a symbol of a people that quit listening to God and were completely ruled by the flesh. But what does Jesus do in that story? Reaches down, picks up his ear, and heals him. Powerfully symbolizing that God can heal your hearing. That He can help us if we'll just listen if we'll set our mind on Him, He can heal us. If you choose. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, You shall hear a word behind your ear saying, Walk this way, whether you turn to the left or to the right. He's always going to be there behind. As long as you are coming to Him, dying to self, being consecrated daily, being filled with the Spirit, He's going to keep on sinning the Holy Spirit. And He's going to be there every step of the way with you, talking to you every moment of the day. Start listening to Him. You'll hear Him. Well, what happens when we do fool around and listen to the flesh? And sometimes that happens, unfortunately. And sometimes we get beat. But listen to this beautiful quote. We shall often have to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus because of our shortcomings and mistakes. But we are not to be discouraged. Even if we are overcome by the enemy, we are not cast off, not forsaken, and not rejected of God. No, Christ is at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us, saith the the beloved John. These things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And do not forget the words of Christ. The Father himself loveth you. So if you do fool around and listen to the flesh, you are not to be discouraged. Don't be overcome. Go back to the wheel of faith. Get back into the step, okay? Sinners need a confession, conviction, repentance, turn from sin. Get back right with Him when you mess up. And next time, be on the alert. Here's what I do. I hate it because it never works out this way, though. but I do this. When I fool around in sin and I mess up and I know this, and I go through that process and I'm back right with God. I'm like, I'm ready. I'm like, okay, God, I'm ready. Let's do it. I want another chance tomorrow. But he never does it tomorrow. I'm like, I'm ready to battle this again. But it never happens that way. It's usually months later when I'm not paying attention. And I'm caught off guard. And here comes the same issue. And the spirit shows up. And the, and the flesh is showing up. And I get to choose. And hallelujah when I choose right. I love it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53, assures us of this. That when this mortal puts on immortality, 
And when this corruption puts on incorruption, let's talk about the second coming. We are going to have this corruption of flesh until the second coming of Christ. There are some teach that it's gone at baptism. No way. Corinthians, spirit of prophecy, the Bible tells us we're going to have to fight this thing every day. So the things that you've been learning here, the things that you have been going through, the things you've been convicted of in this seminar and things that you've heard at plenary session and all these other places, don't let them just be things intellectually. Now realize, okay, I got it. I get how this works and there's going to be a battle. And tomorrow when I wake up, it's going to be a challenge to do what I've been convicted to do. And if you'll set your mind on God in one of these ways or some ways of your own devising, but whatever it puts your mind on God, you're going to be victorious. You're going to pass the test. And the next time it comes, it's going to get easier and easier and easier to that sin or that issue is gone. Of course, we're probably going to be on to something else. But that's great because that's the process of sanctification. Right. It's a process. And we keep being brought deeper, 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 deeper down, deeper down, deeper down and down until the latter rain falls and we get to the bottom of the barrel and we stop. There's no more sin to confess. We've overcome and don't even know it. That's how it works. So, my friends, I pray that you've been blessed with this. I wish that I could share with you the next two lectures on how the law and the Sabbath relate to this will of faith to the gospel. But this is what we brought to you today. And I just ask that uh, you practice what you've learned. Put it into practice. Tell your kids about it. Tell your family members about it. If you want me to come to your church, get a card. We'll set something up in the future. If you want to go to the website and get the full lectures, you can do that. You can get the Bible studies that correlate with this. Share with your family. And be blessed by this. And I thank y'all so much for coming because literally the first day there was like five people here in the first 10 minutes and I was worried. And I really appreciate y'all coming and and just hearing what I had to say. Thank y'all so much. Let's have one more prayer together. Uh, Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful that we could see a very simple yet practical way of looking at the gospel. And knowing that you have given us very real ways to overcome our issues in life. Let us never forget that we must always ever exalt the righteousness of Christ. Let it be our continual covering. Let it be what we aspire to look at. Let us never forget God, our sinful nature. Let us always keep coming to you. May you continue to bring conviction upon every soul here. May we respond to you in true biblical repentance that you might bring a sorrow for sin, that we would be dead to it, that we be continue to be filled with your spirit, that we may beat this thing called the flesh in our life. May you bless each person here that has committed anything to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.